You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Nice to see you. <laughs> You're smiling because you know I want to say it. Well, And I'm now a- I'm not saying it out of spite. I'm also happy that we're back in the office and everybody's uh, together again. It's nice that yeah. to see you again on a daily basis you You what you close the blinds in the window between our offices yes we have windows (laughs) between our offices right now we could stare at at each other angle we can look at each other and i closed the blinds (laughs) yesterday because i threw something on my chair and it altered the blinds and i just went to adjust it so i wasn't trying to block you 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 didn't want me to be able to see whether you were listening to the craig james trial or not i was listening to the craig james trial have you been listening to the craig james trial when i have not been in court or meetings or on the phone with clients or ptcs or uh, doing a uh, IRP hearing. I have been dialing into the Craig James trial. I am so glad that the clerk is muting it because they would be very annoyed if like every 25 minutes announcing participant, Kyla Lee. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel compelled to <clears throat> say my name every time, even though I know that it's muted and they're not going to hear my name and I could literally just press pound, but I feel like I'm an officer of the court, so I'd better say who I, I am. I know, I do too. I say my name in case if somebody wanted to check to see who was on there they'd be able to see that it's me i'm not gonna you know lie yeah Um, but like i'm not watching it as a or listening to it as a as an officer of the court i'm listening to it as a member of the public well i'm listening to it because i'm curious about the uh the defenses the the evidence that they've got that they've used for prosecution clear to me what the defenses are i got a pretty good idea what do you one think is they that, are? that there was no rules, that there was like no clear yeah, but, rules. Yeah, but just because there's no rules doesn't mean that you can't commit fraud. Uh, like, two, there's still the law of fraud. Two, um, that uh, Plekis and Mullen were were angry targeting. Um, that's one of the sort of the arguments. Yeah, I'd be angry if I saw fraud too. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm David <laughs> Butcher here. Should I speak with an accent? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean. Me too. Uh, the uh, I think the and then the wood splitter was like there was nowhere else to put it, or maybe they thought there was nowhere else to put it, so they just left it at the dude's house. Also, he had a trailer hitch on his car, and none of the legislature vehicles had a trailer hitch. I think they're going to have to call an expert witness on wood because uh, their whole <laughs> the the Craig the, <laughs> James. I the mean the, logic. The, the, the the logic that's been floated so far was that. In the event of a natural emergency, they would cut the wood up on the legislative grounds from all the trees that would have fallen, split the wood, Mm -hmm. and burn it somehow to provide heat when I'm sure it's not a wood boiler in the basement of the legislative assembly. And of course, we're talking like... Brand new, fresh wood. Couldn't they just burn the stuff in 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 the legislative library? Who knows? But you, you can't burn green wood. No. Um, and so they set out on this process. And part of it is to to focus on the process to buy the wood splitter. I mean, we all knew that there was a wood splitter being built. Oh, my God. But then it's at Craig James' house. This it's like 40 minutes, this, 40 minute drive away. This evidence. Yeah. Where did he live? Like Gordon? No. He lived out in Saanich? 
I don't know where he lived, but it was some distance. If there was a natural disaster, good luck getting that wood splitter yeah. to the legislative assembly. But there's the also process. today somebody testified that, oh, yeah, we have like groundskeepers. There's somebody who's got the contract to come and do all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you need a wood splitter anyway? It was, well, though that one witness today did not perform very well. I didn't hear the afternoon, so I didn't hear the cross, but the, uh, the one groundskeeper guy that was testifying was not. The fellow who'd been there longest, longer than anybody? Yeah. He had like the, like the Indian accent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like he wasn't saying what the crown was hoping he would say. I got that sense from the way David Butcher was reacting. Well, I mean, these were all crown witnesses, and they weren't necessarily great witnesses for the crown. No, but um, I don't like. I, 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 st- I, I can see the crown's theory of the case emerging. I can't as clearly see the defense theory of the case emerging, other than lots of people were involved in the purchase of a wood splitter, which says nothing about why it's at the dude's house. And there were no rules about this stuff, but also, as Katie Ryan Lloyd said, you kind of just used your common sense because you knew you were spending government money. And I don't know. Anyway, this is not the legislature scandal podcast, although we could do like a special. We could. And, you know, the, the wood splitter, they bought a trailer for it too, right? So it was on its own wheels, but I don't think you could drive it on the road with those wheels. So it... Uh, it had a trailer, so that's a driving law thing. The other interesting <laughs> thing that came about, <clears throat> which was fascinating today, was the problems with parking at the Legislative Assembly. Yeah. And the fact that this is hugely contentious. And that the Speaker's role is to adjudicate disputes <clears throat> over parking. That they God. end up dealing with parking <laughs> disputes. And that, the parking czar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that they have No wonder Plekis was angry. Well, yeah, that could lead you to be angry. I mean, there's lots of ground in the back of the legislative assembly where you think you could do an underground parking or something no. or some other. No, not with the Inner Harbor right there. Yeah, you could. Um, you could do something. Look, the Fairmont Hotel's got parking. Yeah, but that's um, like basically ground level. Yeah, but so what? Same as the legislative assembly at that point. You could go down, you could build a parkade underneath in the back. You could do two levels of parkade. You you could do something is the point, but uh, it was interesting. And you should that, become the speaker. <laughs> well, no. I mean, the point was that it's obviously a point of major stress in the legislative assembly is parking. Yep. And I will tell you, one of the former uh, chief justices of the provincial court told me one of the most painful things they have to deal with is parking with respect to judges. That's so funny because... The BC Supreme Court Chief Justice and I got stuck on the same flight that was like delayed for four hours and had to sit at the airport and had a long conversation. And I said, so what's like, you know, some of the like things you didn't anticipate when you became Chief Justice? And he said, having to resolve a bunch of parking fights between judges. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like everywhere else. (laughs) Judges, they're just like regular people. Well, they are. (laughs) Um... Although Politicians, kind of they're just like us. <laughs> hope that they just, you know, deal with it. But it's uh, fascinating that parking is so often the issue. It's a driving law issue, you know, really. There are no parking disputes at our office. Do you want to know why? Why? Because I park where I want to park and everyone else figures it out. <laughs> That's true. And I usually park if there's a spot left. I leave the spots for everybody in the office and then I park four blocks away. Whatever. And walk in. I got a ticket a little while ago. Everybody is like, I think does not want to bother me with a dispute about parking. No, 
Of course not. They know I have bigger problems. You're the parking czar. No. No. Well, you're the, you're the, you're the one person. I'd be like the premier. I get the best parking spot. Whatever, whatever (laughs) spot you get the first best one. Reality is you have to come in. You're moving faster than anybody else. And when you leave, you're moving faster than everybody else. And chances are you have a bunch of things in your trunk that have to be brought in. If I'm coming, I got to get there quick. And if I'm going, I got to get out of there quick. So. Yep. Don't get in my way. Anyway, so, so. the Legislative Assembly, uh, the saga, the wood splitter saga is really, um, we've learned a lot about driving law because it, uh, it really comes down to parking. Yes. Now, <clears throat> speaking of nothing to do with this altogether, I did want to talk very briefly before we get into our main topic of interest, which obviously everybody is anticipating the protest. I said that like Oprah. Um I want to talk about a case that got leave from the Supreme Court of Canada today. Sadly, I won't get to feature it on my cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada but didn't series. Because it got leave. Because it got leave. Although I don't think it should have got leave because I kind of like the original judgment. But it was a case from the Ontario Court of Appeal. It's called McCollman. And what happens in McCollman is Mr. McCollman goes to like the max convenience store on his ATV thing, which... I guess lawfully he can drive. I'm not entirely sure what he was driving, but it was lawful. And he's heading back from the max and the officer is following him. The officer's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to pull this guy over. Yeah, I'm going to do a sobriety check. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give him a mandatory demand. Using mandatory demand provisions under the criminal code that just let you pull somebody over if you do a lawful stop and then present the ASD to them. But he doesn't do it. Instead, what he does is he uh, waits for the guy to basically turn into his driveway um, and then has him uh, stop in his driveway. Home free. Home free, basically. And says, you know, okay, now you have to pull over and now I have to investigate. And then there's like this question about whether or not he was arbitrarily detained. And the Ontario Court of Appeal looked at the, all of the jurisprudence, like La Sir from the Supreme Court of Canada, that has authorized arbitrary stops to check for sobriety, as well as all the provisions of the Ontario Highway Traffic Act that essentially mirror provisions in every province that allow uh, police officers to compel the driver of a motor vehicle on a highway to stop and state their name and, and et cetera. And we actually have a similar judgment here in BC from 2020 called Johnstone, where the BC court went through the same analysis and came to the same conclusion that the Ontario Court of Appeal did, which is you can't do that unless they are actually driving on an actual road. You can't pull up to a car that's parked on the side of the road and do a sobriety check. You can't pull someone over who's already pulled into their driveway. Do it before, but don't do it after. And essentially the court was was like faced with the Crown's argument, which was, but he could have stopped him on the roadway and it doesn't make sense that he could just pull off the roadway and then all of a sudden be safe from the sobriety testing home provisions. Free. Home free. Home free, right? Yeah. Everybody calls it home free like it's some like excuse for drunk driving. But all it is is literally the court going, yeah, officer, you could have done that, but you didn't. And the scope of your Section 9 authority means that if you don't do it at that point in time, you don't get extra powers that haven't been statutorily or judicially authorized. You are constrained by Section 9, and the exceptions to that have hard boundaries. So the Supreme Court of Canada grants leave. For that particular detention. 
for that particular detention. Now, there are all sorts of other detentions you could lawfully do if somebody pulls onto their driveway. that particular detention was for the purpose of... Exactly. ...exercising authority that allows... Had he committed an offense, you could stop him to investigate the offense. But they didn't... If he committed an offense on the road and you didn't... And you only saw it in the last hundred meters... Could you might have been okay because of that. You could you could stop him because he'd committed an offense even further down the road if you were continuing to investigate that offense. Yeah. But they didn't. So this is the Section Nine authority, and the Supreme Court of Canada. Very interestingly, there were a number of like sort of grounds for leave. They gave leave on only two issues from the Crown's application. Hmm. The first was the Section Nine question. Yeah, and the second was if there was a breach. Was a 24-2 remedy, exclusion of the evidence of this guy's refusal to provide a sample, was that justified? And I think that is not a good sign. But I'm also really angry because there's been all this discussion on Twitter today about this case because it, it raised a bunch of hullabaloo because driving.ca did this ridiculous article that was like, this should be a huge sigh of relief for drunk drivers. And it's like, you're kind of missing the point. Totally it should be instruction point. to the police about where your authority starts and ends. Totally missing the point. <laughs> but whatever. Like, literally, the court said, just pull them over sooner. Like, if you just pull them over when you thought, I'm going to do it, then there would not have been an issue. It was the fucking officer. Anyway. It's just an issue of, like, the police aren't aren't a power unto themselves, yeah. right? They have authority yeah. that's granted to them this through the, legislation. You know, this, this or, you know, and so people don't seem to understand that. This is the problem with drunk driving, though, is people get so up in arms. They hear drunk driver and they think we must do whatever we can to stop drunk drivers without stopping and going, but we're not actually doing the things that the law currently allows we us to do. We already have the authority to if we, do If we haven't tried stuff. and failed with the existing methods, do we really need to add more powers to police? Which, at this point, appears to be just give the police carte blanche to stop people. So there's a but, couple ways that this could go. Like, uh, there's a few ways that this could go. It could go uh, the really wrong way. The bad, bad way. Uh, but it could also, you know, be an opportunity for them at the beginning to speak to mandatory demands. Um, and that may not be the worst thing. But I don't think it's going to speak to mandatory demands. This is the discussion that's been going on on Twitter today. A lot of lawyers misunderstanding the case saying, this is about your authority to be able to demand a breath sample on private property. No, it's that's not. That's not what it's about. There's already Supreme Court of Canada case law like Feeney that says that you can go ahead and demand a breath sample on private property provided certain so conditions are met. You're there lawfully yeah. detaining you. This, this is a case that leave was expressly only granted on a Section 9 and a Section 24-2 question. The breath sampling process does not come into it. The Supreme Court of Canada will not be dealing with demands. If you had a report that that vehicle struck something on the way home and you showed up there and it was parked in the driveway, you're investigating and you're lawfully and there. Hit and run. Uh, but if you just see them and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to mm, I'm going to use my lawful authority to do a investigation of a drinking driving case. Yeah. And then they drive into their yard. That's different. However, I'm concerned about I'm the direction concerned, the yeah. Supreme Court of Canada is going to go. But I also, Eek. as I say, and you just didn't you know, disagree with me, I think it, it is an opportunity for them to look at the lawful steps that are required because in the um, criminal code it's very clear that a mandatory demand can only be made in very certain 
no. circumstances. They're not going to get into the demand. The and demand didn't even come up in the Ontario Court of Appeal. I don't think they're going to get into the demand necessarily. I think they may talk about arbitrary stops by police officers sure. and the limits on that. And they may just clarify that this limit is the limit for the rest of the country. Sure. But again, there's also legislative authority in the Motor Vehicle Act. So uh, who knows? Who knows? It's not, not a great sign. Who knows? Indeed. And the 24-1 analysis, that really worries 24 me. 24-2. Oh, I'm sorry. They're not staying the proceedings. I, I know. 24-2 analysis. I'm tired. It's always the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> well, let's talk about the other big scandal plaguing our government. It's not legislature spending. It's not police officers with no limit to their authority. It's terrorism. Is it? You say it's terrorism. It is terrorism. The definition of terrorism is intimidating to gain a political advantage or to force a government to do something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it starts as a legitimate political protest by people who think that they're doing something that's good. Uh, Honk your air horn. I think most of them think that they're doing something that is right for the society. You and I don't agree with it, Um, but um, that's a that's a different issue. You know. People who engage in like extremist terrorist stuff like World Trade Center bombings thought they were doing good for society based on their religious and extremist political beliefs. I've posted some tweets this week that got some attention and talking about um, uh, potential civil liability that some of these people could face. And I think they've got significant concerns with that. But I was, of course, t- attacked by them on Twitter um, saying... Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we move into civil liability, I want to finish our discussion. I know. You're, you're I muddying you, topic here. No, I'm not. Okay. All right. Go on. Uh, people started talking about uh, indigenous blockades of, of railway lines. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't consider that terrorism. I consider that um, a legitimate attempt to gain... Um, some recognition of something that one identifies as a concern. Now, you could take it too far. Well, this is the thing. And this is where you, you the difference is between blocking a rail line to make a point, a demonstration, and occupying the political heart of the country and taking your air horn on your massive big rig truck and blaring it nonstop, day in and day out, terrorizing people that live in apartments there, people that are trying to work in offices there, people that commute through there. That is a very different situation than saying we're going to disrupt this rail service, which for which people get arrested, or we're going to blockade this area because we don't agree with this decision that the government's um, making and we want to be heard. There is a difference. And one is intimidating, like, individuals who are just trying to go about their day to try and force the government to do something. And another is trying to disrupt an activity that relates directly to the thing that is being protested. I think these protesters have a big problem right now in both locations because... um, they're a relatively... But just to clarify, you don't mean railroads. You mean both locations is in the border blockade. I'm talking blockade Ottawa and, and the border blockade. Yes. Okay. Um, and that is that just because you have a large vehicle uh, doesn't let you uh, escape um, criminal responsibility uh, 
by virtue of the fact that it is a, a protest. So generally, um, your, your Section 2 right of freedom of expression that is going to be the thing that protects you from criminal responsibility. And I'm sure they've all been told, oh, yeah, so long as it's a protest, it's okay. So long as you're legitimately protesting, mm -hmm. that's protected. No. Well, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And we're talking now about uh, like 100 trucks or something like that in, uh, in Ottawa. So maybe a few hundred people. And they're just by virtue of the 10, fact that 10,000, 100,000. Well, the, 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 the maximum amount, I think, was they calculated. Like the 246. Eight, eight, no, it was, they, they had 8,500 people on the weekend there. Right. But 246 um, trucks, I think, was the highest count. Sure. Um, and some of them have probably gone. Some of those people you would think would have to go earn a living somewhere. Um, and these people who are in those trucks have persuaded themselves they're heroes. But just because you've got some big thing like that doesn't let you, you know, take over and, and block the road that way. And I don't think you're exempt from, at this point, um, a mischief charge. And nope. uh, and I certainly don't think you're exempt from any civil liability. And I think if I was living in Ottawa right now, I would go down, see if you can identify the owner, driver, operator of the truck. Oh, actually, you know who's organizing the protest because it's all on their website, including their addresses and phone numbers. You could literally text the organizers and tell them what you think. Well, don't commit criminal harassment, but they have put their information out there for you to contact them. I would figure it out, figure it out, and I would go down and I would file a claim. And I would seek an injunction myself to have them move, but I would file a nuisance suit. Um, and I would uh, ask that their vehicles be seized as maybe part of my application. But would your suit get thrown out under anti-slap litigation? I don't think so. Strategic uh, litigation against public protest, that seems to... Quite squarely. I don't know that the, they have that in is, Ontario. They do. Do they? Well, yeah. I still think that you... Uh, Ontario's anti-slap legislation is going to the Supreme Court of Canada, in fact. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, I, I think you probably could find a fairly easy exemption here as, a, as an individual citizen who has been uh, disturbed and this has caused a nuisance to them. Sure. Um, and I think any business that's had, suffered a loss, similar thing, would suffered a loss as a result of it. Um, again, you're no, you have no... Um, exemption under the charter uh, from the damages that you cause. I mean, you think about it. If if uh, Pepsi decided they wanted to go park in front of Coca-Cola's bottling plant one day so Coke couldn't ship out their stuff and it cost $100,000, we'd all say, okay, for sure, Pepsi, you got to pay. No problem there. That's an easy one. Now, what happens if it's some um, health food company that wants to get publicity and they want to sort of focus on the soda not being the healthiest option. Yeah, but you, and they can, go block you can obviously it. see that's a commercial motive, though. Like, that's sure, not, sure, that's but not it's the, protest. It's, a, it's essentially somebody, it's a, uh, uh, somebody else being injured as a result of it. Um, now, what I will say is there's $8 million in a GoFundMe. If you were to sue the organizers of the protest who have all that GoFundMe money, there's some pretty deep pockets and even if and there was it. even if there was anti-slap well you can get an order from the court an interim preservation order and even if there is an anti-slap suit they're gonna have to hire lawyers for that there's gonna be costs yes uh i was thinking about that as well now the city don't abuse Ottawa, the court system just to punish the no but I, i'm sure lots of people have absolute legitimate complaints and mm -hmm. especially when you start looking at the situation in in coots um but um the city of Ottawa was talking about that, that they're out $3 million right now, roughly, 
for basically hosting this this thing, and that they would like to. <laughs> and I bet they back. don't have permits. Well, and there was, of course, no permit. Um, they didn't have permits, um, and so that's an interesting one because the um, you know maybe that is protected by the charter. I don't know, um, but uh, people were talking about you know I was talking about ticketing the drivers. You know, death by a thousand cuts. You can just show up there and issue them a parking ticket, issue them a noise bylaw ticket, issue them all of these different tickets. And people were, oh, the charter is going to protect them from any tickets. Okay, well, let's just talk about that for a but second. We should talk before about that. You, before you talk about, we talk about the tickets, because there's a lot I want to say about that. Let's just talk about what the charter protects in your right to freedom of expression, which includes the right to protest. It It, it protects your right to peacefully protest. And people are, all of these, like, pro-protester people are emphasizing that, you know, nobody's been violent, nobody's caused any violence. They equate peaceful protest with anti-violent protest. And those are not the same things, legally speaking. Well, though, in Dolphin Delivery, they they spell out that any protest that has violence in it um, is not protected. Sure. Um, So you could... You could see that as being a line that they may yeah. draw. But when um, you're disturbing the public peace, why do we have an offense for causing a disturbance by disturbing the public peace? Why do we have offenses for carrying a weapon for a purpose dangerous to the public peace, which you could be charged with even if you don't intend to use it to harm somebody? Why do we have offenses for breaching the peace when you violate a condition of your your probation or your bail. Why is it keep the peace and be of good behavior? It's not so that you don't go hit somebody. It's so that you don't break the law. But so many protests, um, the protesters are committing mischief. They're keeping people from the lawful enjoyment of something that they're entitled to lawfully enjoy. And that's a very, yes. I mean, it's property, but it's very broadly interpreted. Yes. Um, and... Generally speaking, there's never a charge because of the freedom of expression aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, we if also there is, tolerate a little bit of mischief for the good of the right to protest. Exactly. A little bit of mischief. Well, I know. And not just parking on the street for forever. Now, they've got an interesting thing and people keep floating it. And, I, you know, I, I get it. Now, the RCMP uh-huh. in Canada, RCMP officer, you have to be vaccinated. Otherwise, you've been laid off. Um, that's not so with... The police forces in many cities, for example, mm-hmm. such as Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And the concern is that there's a lot of anti-vaxxers among the police in Ottawa. That support the protests. And the concern is that they couldn't take the enforcement action that they need to take because they've got a bunch of police officers who are not well, why not going just to do get it. the AG to send a request for the military? Well, that was already discussed today, and uh, Justin Trudeau said, no, that's not appropriate. We don't use the military against civilians in Canada. But the um, AG can do it. Well, the thing is, they have the Ontario Provincial Police. The OPP. That's the, Yeah, and that's up to Ford's government to deploy and assist, and so that's there. And of course, the uh, the Quebec police, or the uh, police in Hull can also be asked to come over and assist. Um, they can get assistance from another police force. They could probably get assistance from the RCMP. Right, but you can also, if your police can't do what your police need to do, you can get assistance from the military, and the military members can be given the powers of a constable. And the AG can direct them to do that. Yeah. I There's provisions for that in the National Defense Act. I don't know. Never looked at it. And I can't think of any historic example where they've done that. It was done in Oka. 
that's there's, a protest. there's two there's two <laughs> historic examples that was after months of protest yes um, and some significant violence so that was his friendly fire and violence so um by the police against indigenous people violence and potential for injury so so far there's <laughs> you're never gonna get me to agree about oka i'm not that's not the point i mean my point here is that um i think people's concerns that they voiced about ottawa police being reluctant to enforce the law is a concern and it has been floated that um the population is not necessarily going to be supportive. We talk about the Pelian principles of police. One of the things that police have to generally do is to maintain the confidence of the population. Now, I think they're starting to compromise the confidence of the Ottawa population, and I think the people in Ottawa have fucking had it with these assholes. <laughs> yeah, well, if you had to um, listen to Hogging Horns 24-7, you would fucking have it, too. And so a couple hundred people down there... I would have turned violent by now. And now the other interesting thing is the uh, people in Alberta keep talking about, you know, they, they're, the police can't do anything because they can't... They won't be able to get any tow trucks. They won't be able to get any whatever. Um, There's fucking tow trucks everywhere. Yeah. Lots of tow truck drivers are vaccinated. Yeah, and not only that, lots of tow truck drivers are vaccinated, and they want to continue to get work from the RCMP in the future. Yes. Uh, you can't count on those protesters out there uh, to provide you with the work in the future. So um, the RCMP... Also, you get money if you tow the big truck. Yeah, you get a lot of money. A lot of money for the big truck. Yeah, plus they might they might have to be paying some towing, and the towing and storage is going to be towed by the paid by the owners of the truck, yep. probably. And if they don't pay it, you can after a certain amount of time you can claim the vehicle as salvage and sell it. Sell and it. a Peterbilt <laughs> that goes for a pretty penny. Yep. <laughs> um, and the uh, the police can do all sorts of things. They can show up with concrete barricades. Mm-hmm. And it's one road in, one road out. And, of course, there was a bunch of people who were driving up to it. And some people blew through a police check stop. And I'll tell you, those people have a big problem. That's because obstruction. That's, uh, yep, that's obstruction. It's um, failing to stop for a police officer. Um, and uh, they'll be on video. And they've got the license plate. And people seem to think that, that you know, this is some sort of turning point. <laughs> that they're going to avoid prosecution like the people did January Six in the U.S. felt the, that they were going to avoid prosecution. Yeah, doesn't work that way, folks. After a few weeks, this summer they can come to your house and pick you up. They're gonna <laughs> identify everyone on social media because I guarantee you, even though you might feel like you're among friends at the protest, there are people who know who you are who do not agree with what you are doing, who are going to see your picture or see your car or see your your video or whatever, and they're going to turn that over to the police. People will rat you out. Don't trust your neighbors, man. Well, a bunch of this stuff is <laughs> online. Horrible thing and apparently to say. there's all sorts of discussion out there already. Uh, and there's oh, chats yeah. that there's you can follow. There's whole Facebook groups dedicated Facebook to doxing groups. these people. Um, and um, and there's, there's by now, there are certainly people working for the RCMP. There's undercovers in there. Well, in the RCMP locations. have even put out requests for the identification of the woman who danced on the grave of the unknown No, soldier. that was the Ottawa police. Or, that was the well, Ottawa whoever, police. whatever. They've already put out stuff saying we want to identify this person. She's the first of many. Well, many and to she, come, and she will be charged, and I think it's a thousand dollar minimum fine for that offense. There for, is a specific uh, offense, yeah, of, mischief in relation to war memorial. Yeah, 
it's four thirty something. Yeah, I, don't I can't remember, remember, but it's um, yeah, and it's but there's a mandatory minimum punishment on that. It's not just the regular old yep uh, mischief where there's no mandatory minimum. Now let's talk about tickets briefly. Because you mentioned people think the charter is going to protect them from traffic tickets <laughs> and bylaw tickets. Yes. Here's the thing Good about luck. bylaw tickets and your charter rights. I, I, I think. Fuck it. I, I'm gonna <laughs> they t- don't apply. I'm going to tell you, there, there is a circumstance that I can think of where your charter rights apply in a bylaw context. Uh-huh. It is so infrequent and good luck proving it. But if the police were issuing parking tickets only to gay men, you would have a charter argument, sure. a human rights ar- argument. If they were only issuing it to indigenous women, you would definitely have a human rights potential charter argument. Good luck with that one because it's never going to happen. Bylaw <laughs> challenges to bylaws that require you to get permits and shit to hold your protests have already been brought, have already failed. So It's a reasonable limitation on your right to protest that you should have to pay the city $100 to use their space. So we're back to the death by a thousand cuts. Uh-huh. Um, now, the... Um, the, poli- tra- the traffic thing is the best, though, because majority of these people, Paul are commercial drivers. And what happens when you get a traffic ticket as a commercial driver? Yes. Uh, you have commercial points. Your NSC you're, record. You're, you're, you can you can lose your capacity to continue to be a commercial you, driver. You get your the, NSC profile pulled. The Your insurance is just awful. Um, and um, the uh, in Coots, Alberta, uh, you know, the police can issue the tickets afterward, right? You know, there's a limitation period for traffic tickets in BC is a year. Uh, I don't know what it is in Alberta off the top of my head. Um, the uh, But in any event, the police can issue you that ticket at some later date. They know all the people there. Oh, yeah. They may not get charged with a uh, criminal offense. And they but- can issue it to you as the owner. And even if they can't identify you as the driver... An NSC profile doesn't care who was driving. It goes to the it goes against the owner. It'll yes. go to your fleet if you work for a company. If you're uh, an independent, it'll go against your NSC profile as the owner of the vehicle, regardless of whether you were driving. So you can. Uh, th- this is a funny thing because most of these people feel that they're never going to end up in court for any of these things. <laughs> They just think that their charter rights are, are oh, I'm protected by the charter. Yeah, they also um, think their charter rights justify not getting vaccinated or not wearing a mask. I know. And that's not been going well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the uh, well, you've got the charter right to, to not travel in those circumstances. You can not be vaccinated and not have that job. You still have that right over your body. It's just a decision that you're making ultimately to give up one thing uh, for the other. But the... Um, uh, I, when they actually have to go to court and start trying to run their defense on the basis of the charter when they've been issued parking ticket after parking ticket after parking ticket in Ontario uh, or traffic ticket. Can't fight City Hall. Um, yes, you will find that uh, you still have to defend it and you still have to go do it. And uh, it's going to cost money and it's going to be and painful. Do you think all those people gonna that lose. driven <clears throat> from across Canada are really going to go back to Ontario for their traffic court? Well, yeah, that's the other thing for traffic court. A lot of them are apparently Quebec and Ontario uh, licensed vehicles, so they're going to have some problem there in Ontario and Quebec. But you think about the guys in, parked in Coots, you know, all of them can be issued numerous traffic tickets 
um, mm-hmm. for the for stopping what they've done. Stopping on a highway. Stopping on a highway. Exactly. There's a three point offense. Yep. Well, I don't know what it is. I don't in know Alberta, what it is but... in Alberta, but yeah. So, um, lots of things um, the uh, that they can be ticketed for and ticketed for daily. Uh, you know, come back and reticket mm-hmm. them, and come back and reticket them. Ticket them in the morning. Ticket them at night. Yeah. Ticket in the morning. Ticket at night. Yeah, and. Uh, the, uh, the RCMP have been in there, right? They've, they're oh, wandering yeah. through. They've gone and talked to them. The RCMP, when they've gone and talked to them, are recording everything. I am sure yeah. that there are undercover RCMP and CSIS officers in the midst of the crowd. But they could just walk in with a bunch of tickets. Oh, here, hang on. I've got yours here. No, I mean, you can defend it and everything. What are they going to do? They're not going to be assaulted. People are not going to assault a police officer in those circumstances. The, An individual officer it, washing yeah. in there peaceful protest if they well, did yeah um that would be the end of it being a and there's plenty of you know pretty much every rcmp officer i know would go wander in there and do that if i was, that was in, their job. I, was in <laughs> I was in traffic court today and i had a little break and i went with three police officers across the street to have a coffee and uh they we were all talking about the protest and how many tickets they would gladly issue if they could yeah I and, said, well, why don't you get out there? And all you need is one <laughs> officer wandering out there to do it. I'm, oh, here, yeah. No, hang on. I've got to give you one. Oh, yeah, here, I've got yours. Yeah. Uh, and just wander through the crowd and hand out those tickets. You tell them all, look, you can dispute your ticket. And, and you may have some valid defense. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is I, you know, have to, I see it, the offense being committed. Yeah. Um, I'm making the allegation. Here's your ticket. And you have a right to a trial. Have a trial if you like. <laughs> you know, and, Run and, your charter argument. Yeah, Go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing I think we should talk about is insurance. Because these, as I we said off the top, and uh, I was on um, uh, 6.30 Ched today, um, this is being the Thursday, uh, discussing uh, potential liability. When you have are doing something unlawful with your vehicle, in most cases, your insurance contract is void for that time period. So if you're out there and you're sitting in your truck and you're idling your truck and you have an electrical fire, for example. Yeah, or somebody breaks into your truck. Somebody breaks into your truck. Something something goes wrong. You have a collision there because you're unlawfully parked on the road. Um, you collide with another truck there. Um, your truck is uh, subject to an arson fire because uh, from a counter protester or something goes wrong. Um, don't count on your insurance company to come and pay because that's not what they insured you for. Nope. They insured you to lawfully use your vehicle for lawful purposes. Yep. Um, and in all likelihood, there's a pretty clear rider somewhere in that contract because those insurance companies always write those contracts to their own benefit. And if you find yourself parked there, you know, you've got liability insurance, for example. If somebody runs into you and you're there, and even if it's not your fault, you're not supposed to be there. Yep. If a protester, a counter-protester is coming out there. That's what we call an own damage breach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Except that you may be personally on the hook for the other person's damage. Yeah. the uh, <laughs> for sure an own damage breach. But, but if you're parked there illegally and somebody trips and falls into your vehicle, you might be sued for their injury because um, you're not supposed to be there. Probably be a stretch. Well, I can think of you can think of some 
sure. exit. You know, sure. um, you know, you're not supposed to be there. So if your vehicle causes injury or damage to somebody, you have a big problem there. Lots of driving law issues in this protest. Driving laws everywhere, Kyla. Interesting to see how it will play out. I can't believe that, like, maybe our biggest constitutional crisis of this millennium, maybe, is driving law related. Or can I believe it? I don't see any constitutional crisis here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shush. I just think. Let me be, make this more important than it is. It's not that important. There's uh, been so many protests over the years, and every time you, it seems like the end of the world. Can you believe that a couple years ago we were all looking at the mischief sections of the criminal code and thinking about Chair Girl? Oh, the woman who threw the chair over yeah. in Ontario? Yeah. I think about Chair Girl a lot I for never, perspective. I never think of, about Chair Girl, but yeah, the uh, that was just not driving law, so that's no. why I didn't pay attention. All right. People, you've sat through our protest pontification, and now you are rewarded with the ridiculous driver of the week. The week, the week, the week, the week. Honk, honk. This guy's a, this guy's a People f- don't want to hear honking horns. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you could leave me saying honk, honk. Okay. Um, so in North Vancouver this week, somebody... Broke the sound barrier. No, I'm just kidding. But somebody with an N drove 200 plus kilometers an hour as measured on a moving radar. And also... That's fast. Also got a 90-day IRP. It was at nighttime, too. At night. N driver, 90-day IRP, meaning alcohol in the body, in excess of 80. 200 kilometers an hour. 200 plus kilometers an hour. Yeah, it was like 227, I think. It was really freaking fast. So the Ridiculous Driver of the Week is an actual BC driver. I thought, you know, everybody we talked about this week could have been the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. So except the first one, the one from Ontario. That was just a person going home. This, but yeah, (laughs) this, this is hilarious. I, what I really loved was on Twitter, um, some of the officers that are on Twitter were ragging on the North Vancouver RCMP for not criminally charging the dude. Well, I mean, look, they've laid that out. The criminal, the, it's a the, criminal the, it's offense. A criminal to drive offense. That we fast. know it now. The Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that I'd it was say, a criminal offense a long time ago. Look, you got people an a- sort of forgot about it, and now it's quite clear that it is. You got an ASD fail. Take the dude back to the detachment. I'm sure he'll blow over. Even if he doesn't, that driving behavior is so reckless that the presence of alcohol in the body coupled with that driving behavior could be enough for an impaired conviction. Well, they used an ASD. Yeah, um, I know, but you'd still get presence of alcohol with a uh, with a um, ECIR2 sample unless he blew zero. And you can, if it's 20 or more, you can relate it back to the time of driving. I hear you. Uh, you know, that, uh, that speed, I hate to say it, but I probably drove that speed when I was uh, 18 years I old. I have never driven that speed. I have never been in a car going that speed. Good Lord, I would be terrified. I had a car up to 135 miles an hour. I don't know what that is in kilometers, but it's got to be beyond 200. Um, <clears throat> Too fast. Uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, 19 years old. Um, uh- do you know how fast that is? Are you working it out? Uh, I'm trying. 135 miles per hour. It's 217 kilometers an hour. You're lucky you so didn't liquefy close. yourself by crashing into something. I am because it had terrible tires. Um, but, uh, yeah, the uh, 
glad I was not uh, charged. There was nobody on the road. There's nobody on the road. The fastest I've ever driven is like 140. 140? Yeah. Hmm. In a Mazda 626. Yeah. I wanted to see how fast it would go, and I got to 140, and it started shaking like the engine was going to drop out, and I thought I'd better slow down. I've been to 240. That's the fastest I've ever driven. But that is on the Autobahn in a long stretch between Munich and Leipzig. And uh, I looked down the highway. I could see several kilometers down the highway. There was nobody. It was three lanes each direction. There was nobody on the road. And I was in the middle lane. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this Mercedes, I wonder, I wonder if it can do it. And I had a C-Class Mercedes as a rental car. And I, I wound it up to 240. And uh, I, I, I'm comfortable on the Autobahn at 150 to 180. And that's, you start getting to those speeds. I mean, you can't think fast enough to deal with no. it if something happens. Even at 100 kilometers an hour, you yeah. can't really think fast enough. You're just lucky that you're in a lane going in a direction with lines painted on it. What if an animal comes out or something? Like, there's nothing that you can do. That happened that one time, as you recall. Yes. Um, so, um, the, and that yeah. was what? That was like 120. Yeah. On the way so, to court. <laughs> well, you press the brakes and hope you survive. But the, uh, <laughs> the but on the Autobahn, you you're not, at, at 240, you're not going to survive. It's just like, no. okay, passengers, are you just reading, not paying attention? All right, I'm going to put all your lives at risk for a minute. Yeah, we're always, we're See, all at risk. And this is why I think you would have to be drunk to drive that fast. Well, I was sober when I did it. Well, you're nuts. Men. Yeah, this is a male problem. It is a particular male problem. And of course, I think that I'm a good driver. So everybody, everyone always thinks they're a good driver. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our Ridiculous Driver of the Week. And that's our podcast. So if you have a driving law related issue that is not a ticket for a trucker protest in Ottawa, give us a call 604-685-8889 or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 